Section 5 of Gallipoli Diary. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sue Anderson. Gallipoli Diary by John Graham Gillum. Section 5, April 29th to May 3rd, 1915. April 29th. I wake at eight, but am given permission to sleep all the morning. I have breakfast. Getting fed up with biscuit. My servant rigs me up a bivvy, and I roll up and go fast asleep. Lord, what a gorgeous sleep it was. I slept till one, and then had lunch, and after a shave and a wash. I did little all day but watch the fleet firing, and the transports unloading everything imaginable necessary for an army. We have now rigged up a nice little mess with some ration boxes and a tarpaulin, and have quite a nice dinner at night, with a boiled ham, bully beef rissoles, and biscuit pancakes. Our chef is some chef. A naval officer at night, after dinner, is continually shouting, Any more for the Arcadian? Where General Headquarters is. Reminds me of Any more for the Skylark at Brighton. It is pleasant going to sleep at night with the sound of the swish of waves breaking on the shore in one's ears. The fleet guns roar away consistently all day. April 30th. Today we have some shells on the beach, but not very terrible ones. Many of them go foot in the ground without exploding. If this is all the artillery they can put up against us, Lord help them. They must be having hell from the fleet. Go up to brigade headquarters via said El Bar this morning with a rifle and dressed as a Tommy. All go up dressed like that now, for snipers are still about. On past the white pillars to brigade headquarters, we pass the bodies, still unburied of Turks and British, fallen heroes lying broken amidst wild flowers. I call and see Major Gibbon at his observation post, but from there can see nothing of the enemy. Before me is a simple, lovely summer scene, yet amidst the nullas and the olive groves, the flowers and barley, death lurks alert to claim his toll. It is a long walk back to W. Beach via Sedel Bar. Snipers are still at large, which is remarkable, and we are warned not to walk across country, though to do so would be much quicker. I pass two snipers as we arrive back at the White Pillars, prisoners in the hands of the French. One prisoner is limping badly from a wound in the foot. The French appear to have made themselves very much at home in Sedel Bar. I pass an officer's mess and lunch is on. I am surprised at the delicacies on the table, including many bottles of white wine. We are still on bare rations, and bully and biscuits at that. But they appear to have bread, probably from tenedos and probably for officers' messes only, and they seem all very bright, as if it was a huge joke. As we are about to enter, said Elbar, a French sentry stops us and warns us not to go through the village, as two men have just been sniped. We pass at the back of V Beach. The view from here of the fleet is magnificent. Occasionally one sees a whiff of yellow smoke shoot from the side of a ship, and a few seconds after a deafening report follows. It takes some getting used to. 
we pass a company of senegalese manning a trench dug at the back of v beach they lie in it peering over the top looking inland intently as if they expect the enemy who is more than three miles away to rush down on them at any moment i pass general damade at the headquarters at the back of v beach and stopped to chat with a french officer who was on the arcadian with me and also a french naval officer who was on the southland the naval officer inspects my rifle with interest saying it is the first time that he has handled one of the short patterns he tells me that he saw the fight from the andania on sunday morning and says that he thinks that it will stand out as the most magnificent fight of the war may first a few shells but none very terrible come over one however in our depot beautiful weather heavy rifle fire heard at night now and again a turkish shell lands over from achi the rifle fire last night was turkish nothing happened probably wind up on their part letters arrive while sitting on a box reading a shell comes beastly near but bursts in a not very frightening manner twenty yards away but i and the few near me fall flat to the ground i have been advised to do this by an officer who is an expert in shelling and he tells me that by so doing though a shell may burst ten yards from you one should be safe my servant rolls over and over shouting oh and i rush to him asking him if he was hit but find that a stone has caught him on the forehead and but for a nasty bruise he was none the worse this afternoon i have a bathe off w beach crowds are bathing what a contrast to this time last week only a week ago we landed and now w beach is like a seaside resort as far as the bathing is concerned i felt in a holiday mood and with that delightful refreshed feeling that one has after a dip i strolled along the sand up to the depot for a cup of tea but the scream of a shell overhead from achi which fell in the water beyond the bathers brought my holiday mood to an abrupt end the mouth of the dardanelles and the sea at the end of the isthmus is full of warships from battleships to small destroyers and their necessary small craft transports hospital ships trawlers and lighters engineers french and english are working feverishly at the building of piers and finishing those already begun stores are being unloaded and marquees for their storage are being erected the scene here is extraordinarily interesting i have never seen such a motley gathering in my life the beach is crowded with figures all working for dear life the sea is dotted with lighters out of which are being poured all kinds of military stores, wood, sandbags, wire netting, galvanized iron, cooping, and the like. All these things are being conveyed to the piers and from there put ashore. On the shore itself, parties are at work erecting tents and marquees, and other parties are hard at work making dugouts, plying picks and shovels with a will, here they are erecting the signal station, a contraption of beams and sandbags. Outside wires are being laid, and so the work of the beach parties goes busily forward. Yet to my untutored gaze the scene is wonderful. The whole beach is a hopeless mix-up of French and English, with a good sprinkling of naval men. 
presenting a kaleidoscopic effect with the afternoon sun shining upon it such as I have never seen before. It is, of course, quite an orderly mob, really, but this is only recognized when one watches the work of one group at a time. Here is the real business of a military landing on a hostile shore, everybody knowing what to do and how to do it, and so the work goes on without a hitch. At 7 p.m. I start off with a long convoy of pack mules with rations for brigade headquarters via the Sedel Bar Krithia Road. At present it is impossible to use vehicles, for the first line is served by but two roads, which are nothing but farmers' tracks. An armed escort of the Essex Regiment accompanies us. The padre of the 88th Brigade, who is just joining, comes along with me, intending to join the Worcesters in the trenches. Just entering Sedel Bar, we are halted by a French officer, and almost immediately my head feels as if it is blown off by four spouts of flame stabbing the darkness just a few yards away, followed almost instantaneously by four deafening reports. A French 75 battery is in action, and that means business. Almost immediately after number four gun had fired, number one fired, then number two, number three, and number four again, and so on, shell after shell following each other in rapid succession into the night towards Achibaba. The gunners, crouching like cats by their guns, were lit up fitfully by each flash, disappearing again in the pause of a fraction of a second between each round. An officer in a dugout behind, with telephone glued to his ear, shouts incessantly directions as to range, elevation, and depression to an officer who is standing nonchalantly smoking a cigarette behind the battery, who in turn shouts orders to the guns. The guns reminded me of two couple of hounds held in leash at a coursing meeting, barking with eagerness to be let loose. Our little pack mules are greatly concerned at first, but become surprisingly docile as the firing goes on. A sharp order is given by the French officer standing behind the weapons. The gunners relax their tense attitudes and begin attending to parts of the guns. The officer who had first stopped us most charmingly and politely apologizes in English for delaying us, and our convoy proceeds on its track. I chat to the padre, find he is fifty-five years of age, and before the war a peace-loving rector. What circumstances to find oneself in after fifty-five years of peaceful life! I record him in my mind as a very gallant old gentleman. We pass through the French camp, down through the trees, to the Poplar Grove Cemetery, which always now fills me with a curious awe. So ghostly do the graves look in the moonlight, lying peacefully amidst the poplar trees. It is a most beautiful sight with the glimmering water of the Dardanelles beyond. Ahead on our right, the reflection of the bright beam of the Chanak searchlight, swinging round from east to west across the narrows, can be seen in the sky, searching for any of our ships, should they make a dart up the straits. Past my friends the loudly croaking bullfrogs, past the stately white pillars, on up the white road that leads to Krithia, and towards our dumping ground, brigade headquarters, 
the little mules pad carefully and surely along led by the syrian mule drivers who chatter confidentially to each other in russian for they now are at home in their new life and delight in the thought that they are doing their bit in the great cause we arrive at our destination and lo and behold no one is there phillips and i confer i decide to go on with smith quartermaster of the hants to find headquarters we take an orderly each from the armed guard i take an essex man we follow the white road and arriving at the front-line trenches are pulled up short by the alt who are you supply officer advance to be recognized we advance smith asks where battalion headquarters are and learns they are a hundred yards to our left we find a hundred yards along a part of the trench dug back a bit to serve as battalion headquarters the trenches are deeper now one can stand up in safety but only just smith asks for captain reed the adjutant he steps out to us we express surprise at the quietness of things there is absolutely no firing on our front but we can hear desultory firing on our right from the french line reed offers us cigarettes and lights one himself i remark to him that it is unwise to light a cigarette standing in the open to which he replies that the enemy are a long way away he directs me to brigade headquarters further along the line i wish him good night and with my orderly proceed cautiously in the direction he had pointed for it is now pitch dark i am challenged again and again and find myself after a bit among the royal scots and one of their officers kindly lends me an orderly who takes me to brigade headquarters dug in a dry brook some two hundred yards behind the front line thompson is asleep and it is with regret that i have to wake him he tells me to dump rations in the same place as the last nights i start to go back steer my way by the front line once more and in the dark miss the direction and find myself about to walk across a track which runs through our front line towards the enemy's and an alert sentry bringing me to the halt with a sharp challenge i find my mistake i then leave myself in my orderly's hands who takes the lead and guides me back to the brigade dump when i find that phillips had met quartermaster sergeant leslie and had nearly finished the unloading of the pack mules i really believe that if i had not been challenged and had passed through our lines towards the enemy's my orderly one of the doesn't reason why breed would have calmly followed me someone taps me on the shoulder and a tommy asks me where's your rifle mate i reply that i haven't one he then says ain't you one of the ants and wonderingly i reply that i am the supply officer and the man brings himself erect with a sharp click begging my pardon the reason of his mistake then dawned on me i have on a private's tunic our goods delivered we trek back and on arrival at sedel bar the sound of heavy rifle fire breaks out but by the sound of it from our own rifles i wonder what is happening and think ourselves fortunate that we had finished our job before this activity started i am in rear of the column walking with my orderly about fifty yards behind the last mule when i have a bad nerve shock i have had many during the past week but this one takes the biscuit 
out of a hole in the side of a broken-down house there leaps a French soldier. He shouts something to me in French, and points a rifle with gleaming bayonet fixed at my chest. In days long gone past, it has sometimes happened that one of my young sisters, or a brother with a warped sense of humor, would leap round from the corner of the landing in our early home, just as I might be passing along, and shout, Boo! I used to go hot and cold with fright, and appeared to cause intense amusement by my state of nerves. When this boy's sentry, who by his looks could not have been more than nineteen, jumps out from his hole in the wall, my heart seemed to stand still until it feels that it is never going to start its job again, and then, with a bound, it carries on its job at about ten times its normal speed. My mouth feels like dry blotting paper, and all I say is, oh, hell, at the same time throwing my hands well over my head. My orderly, who appears most unconcerned, comes to my rescue, and says with a cockney accent, Anglais, and our gallant ally brings his rifle to the order and allows us to pass. Previous to this incident I had been chatting to my orderly about his life in the army in peace days, but now walk on in silence until we have overtaken the convoy, finding the mules halted. Suddenly the French battery that we had passed earlier in the evening opens a terrible fire. I go along to its position and find that half our convoy had passed earlier, but that the battery, being suddenly called into action, the rear half of our column had been ordered to stop. In the excitement, two of the mules get adrift, and with good instinct trot off to their own lines, ignoring the cries in Russian from their drivers and the angry bark of the little seventy-fives. A halt of ten minutes, and, again with polite apologies, the pleasant French gunner officers wishing us bonsoir allow us to proceed. Home to bed and a good night's rest. May 2nd. A taube flies over and drops one bomb on our new aerodrome to the left of Hill 138. One of our machines, which is up, swings round, heading straight for it, and quickly drives it back. A couple of aircraft guns from one of the ships put in some good practice, little white puffs of shrapnel bursting perilously near. A few wounded come in from a little show last night, and amongst them are wounded Turkish prisoners. We are issuing stores now from one depot for the whole division, and to all others who come. Way and Carver are running it. I simply hold a watching brief for my brigade, but give a hand when I can in helping the business to run smoothly. Foley is up the coast a short way at X Beach, running his own depot for the 87th Brigade, and wires constantly come in from him, indenting on us for stores he has not in stock. It is just like a business store, and we are running short of supplies, but a supply ship has come in to replenish our stock and form a large reserve depot. Our depot is the hotbed of rumors and news, and we feel the pulse of the division through the news that the quartermasters and ration parties bring. Bad news has arrived this morning. Captain Reed, to whom I was talking last night, has been killed, and Major Lee, his commanding officer, with him. I inquire as to what time it happened, and learn that it was at eleven o'clock. I was talking to him at ten. 
it appears that shortly after I had left him, word was passed down the trench for commanding officers and adjutants to go to the end of the trench to meet the staff. Major Lee, accompanied by Captain Reed, immediately went and met two officers dressed in khaki with staff tabs. One of these officers fires a revolver in Major Lee's face, killing him instantly, while the other murders Captain Reed. In their turn, they were quickly bayoneted by Lee's and Reed's orderlies. The line is attacked by some two hundred Turks, who are met in the open by our men and quickly retire, getting hell from the French 75s in doing so. The two officers dressed in our staff uniform proved to be Germans, and their action was an attempt to break our line. I also hear that Godfrey Fawcett, Colonel of the Essex, has been killed. This upsets me far more than danger, and I have the nightmare question running in my head sometimes now, when talking to my friends or seniors, whom I knew so well in England, I wonder if I shall see you alive again. A few snipers have been caught, and they present a weird and uncanny appearance. They wear uniforms of green cloth, to which in some cases are attached or sewn sprigs of gorse bush and small branches of trees. Their rifles, hands, and faces are painted green, and they can be passed unnoticed at but a few yards' distance. Most of them have been found in holes and dugouts underneath clusters of bushes, with two or three boxes of ammunition and enough bread and water to ration them a fortnight. This morning the fleet and the few guns which are on shore are bombarding the Turkish positions heavily, and the slopes of Achibaba are alive with bursting shrapnel and spouts of earth and smoke shooting skywards. But through it all Achibaba looks calm, dignified, and formidable, like a great giant saying, Thus far and no further. Verily it looks the fortress gate of the peninsula, and we are but on the threshold, or rather, on the footpath leading to the threshold. Turkish artillery replies, but feebly, with shrapnel, but the shooting appears good. I hear the crackle of rifle fire, and learn that we are again attacking. Good luck to the twenty-ninth. Afternoon. Guns of the fleet and shore batteries steadily boom away. Rifle fire has died down. Wounded are beginning to steadily come in, and as fast as possible are evacuated onto hospital ships. I go up to headquarters and find site for dump for rations retired somewhat. I passed many wounded and stretcher bearers coming back. I saw Colonel Williams, our new brigadier, calmly walking about in the most exposed positions. A regiment of Gurkhas are on the right of our line, and those in support have dug themselves each a little dugout, just room enough for a man to lie in, rolled up. These little dugouts are in regular lines, and each one, being occupied with a little Gurkha, makes a most quaint scene. I take snaps of one or two to their intense delight. They look very workmanlike in their shirts, wide hats, and shorts. It is now dusk, and we hear that we advanced, but soon after had to return to our former positions. We are now badly outnumbered. The enemy have lately received many reinforcements, and are receiving them daily. 
we want several more divisions to carry this business through we have dinner and i go to bed rather depressed heavy rifle fire bursts out at night and in the middle of the night our adjutant has to get up and organize a convoy of pack mules to take up ammunition may third it is a perfect morning but it is getting very hot i ride up about ten a m with the company sergeant major to as far as the furthest of the white pillars and there we tether our horses to a tree and walk the rest of the way up the white road all is absolutely quiet on the front not a shell not a rifle shot all firing from the fleet has ceased and the gunners on shore are busy cleaning their guns and digging gun pits and dugouts it is quiet and peaceful at the front line i cannot see any signs of the enemy i chat with major barlow of the essex who was at warwick with me he is now officer commanding essex it is strange being without the roar of the guns once more the fleet has been treated to rather a hot reception and finds it advisable to lie a little further down the entrance to the straits which it accordingly does the mouth of the straits looks glorious the intense blue of the sea with the warships and transports with their motley collection of lighters picket boats etc all stand out strongly against the steely blue of the sky further off the lovely isle of imbro shimmers like a perfect gem set in a sapphire sea one can just make out the lovely violet tints of her glorious veils tempered by the pearly gray mists that lightly swathe her mountain crests as she stands out sharp against the sky a beautiful sight and not easily forgotten looking landward the trees are all bursting into leaf the country is wrapped about in a cloak of flowers and flowering grasses with achibaba as a grim and rugged sentry its sides sloping away to the sea on either hand truly a grim and forbidding sentinel but one which most certainly has to be passed if we are to do any good at all today an enterprising greek landed in a small sailing vessel with a cargo of oranges chocolate and cigarettes and in a very short time was quite sold out we shall be having a pirogue troupe on the beach next at night as the moon rises to the full the picture is perfect the coast of asia that land of mystery and romance with the plains of troy in the background immortalized forever by the sweet singers of ancient greece one can almost picture those godlike heroes of the past halting in those titanic fights which their shades perhaps wage nightly in the old battlefields of troy halting to gaze in wonder and amazement on the strange spectacle unfolded before them modern war that is and all its attendant horrors hector achilles and agamemnon in their golden harness their old enmities forgotten must surely gaze in astonishment on the warlike deeds and methods of another age than theirs the soft shimmering sea merges into liquid silver where in the dim distance the little wavelets lap around the silent sleeping isles there is tenedos standing like a sugar-loaf in a silver bowl silent as the night itself and filled with mystery further off imbros that queen of the isles sleeps like a goddess wrapped about in a garment of violet and silver all unheeding apparently of war's alarms 
surely on such a night as this the mythology of the ancients becomes a living thing and it does not tax the intellect much to imagine diana queen and huntress surrounded by her attendant maidens pursuing the quarry through the violet veils of the isles again one can almost hear the splashing of leander as he swims the hellespont to keep his tryst with a lovely hero most of those living on the beach have dugouts now but i still live in a little house made of biscuit boxes the royal scots came into action the first time last night the munsters were taken by surprise and had their trench rushed and the royal scots were given the job to retake it and cleared the trench of the enemy with two platoons at the point of the bayonet in twenty minutes greek civilian labor has now been landed and we use them for unloading the lighters a turkish spy could with ease pass himself off as a greek laborer of one of the gangs personally i think we are making a mistake in employing them carver tells me that the other day he noticed one sitting halfway down the cliff in full view of yenisher waving to and fro a fly whisk with a metal band fastened round the handle which clasped the ends of the horsehair he feels confident that by the way he was waving the whisk with the rays of the sun reflecting from the metal band he was signaling by code to the turkish observation post on asia i think it was quite possible for him to do so for a bright piece of metal reflecting the strong rays of the sun in the clear atmosphere of this part of the world can be seen a long way off and i should say quite easily as far as yenis share is from w beach to a casual passer-by the greek would appear to be waving flies away from his face with a whisk flies are daily becoming numerous here one of the greek foremen who spoke english assured me that it was only a matter of weeks now before greece would come in on our side and that he looked forward to the day when he would take his place in the ranks it is strange how very silent everything is to-day not a gun nor a rifle shot and we stroll about the beach chatting with the naval officers afternoon i hear that there was an armistice declared for the purpose of burying the dead on both sides it lasted about two hours during which both turks and our men sat on their respective parapets watching each other with interest while parties were out in front mixing freely with each other clearing away their own dead it was an extraordinary situation one of the turks picked up two of our live bombs which had fallen short and had failed to explode and was making back to his trench with them when his officers spotting him called him back and made him hand the bombs back to our men and apparently gave him a good cursing in strong turkish a short time after both sides are back in their trenches and if a head should appear over the parapet of either side it is in danger of being promptly blown off at dinner i expressed the thought that i wished turkey would throw over the germans and become our allies our tommies and theirs were so near this morning and by god they would fight well side by side i say that turkey is the most valuable asset to have on either side if she were our ally the dardanelles would be open to the allies and the central empires would be utterly defeated in a year 
as an enemy she will cause the war to drag on lord knows how long providing we are unsuccessful in forcing the straits i am howled down and am told that achi baba will be ours in a month's time and once ours turkey is finished but strolling up to the top of the cliff after dinner i take a long look at achi hours in a month i wonder i turn depressed and pessimistic into my house of biscuit boxes and bless the man who invented sleep end of section five